Hello everyone and welcome back to Ministry Earth Archives, the History of Middle Earth podcast. My name is Phil and I will be your guide for today's adventure back to Middle Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by Pindar Catalian. To start us off today, we're going to be going over this week in Middle Earth history. Because I'm re-recording this episode due to technical difficulties, I'm going to backtrack just a couple days. Wednesday, April 28th, Frodo starts planning for his adventure to leave the Shire. Friday the 30th, the Army of the West returns to Minas Tirith after the Battle of the Black Gate. On Saturday, May 1st, Aragorn is crowned King of Gondor in 3019. That same day, the following year, 3020, is when Samwise marries Rosie Catelyn. Now for our main topic today, we are going to be going over another member of the Fellowship, our Master Dwarf, Gimli. Gimli was born in TA 2879 and was the son of Gloin and nephew of Boin, both companions of Bilbo. Gimli was quick-tempered, suspicious, and never forgot who wronged him, but he was also brave, loyal, and a powerful warrior. Gimli was a descendant of Durin, father of the first house of the Dwarven people. His father was Gloin, a direct descendant of King Nain II, and through him, Durin the Deathless. Through his father, father, Gimli was also the first cousin once removed of Balin, Lord of Moria, and his brother Dwalin, both also companions of Bilbo. Gimli was prevented from traveling with his father and uncle on the quest of Erebor because Thorin and company thought him too young, though Gimli, being 62 at the time, considered himself ripe for adventure and was very disappointed to be left behind. In TA 3017, an emissary of Mordor approached the king under the mountain, Dane II, with offers of friendship and requests for, for news of a hobbit bearing a ring. Not trusting the messenger, Dane sent Gloin and Gimli to Rivendell to seek the advice of Elrond, and to have Bilbo warned that the enemy was seeking him. As a result, they were summoned to the Council of Elrond, where Elrond believed they would find the answers to their questions and would be able to contribute. While there, Gloin told Elrond of the messenger and made reference to Balin, who had entered Moria and attempted to reclaim it. However, he had not sent any word to King Dane II for five years, and Gloin was concerned. The council ultimately chose to send Frodo Baggins to Mordor to destroy the ring and decided that a small fellowship should go with him. Gimli volunteered in company, to accompany the fellowship to Mordor to destroy the One Ring. He volunteered to join the company, at least in part because Legolas had volunteered and he doubted the elves' intentions with the One Ring. He alone of the company wore a male shirt and carried a broad-bladed axe. He quickly distinguished himself in the company by declaring that he needed no map, and naming the Misty Mountains individually by, by their Coolsdool names, inspiring the comment from Sam, saying a quote, A fair, jaw-cracker, dwarf language must be. Gimli journeyed with the Fellowship southward along the Misty Mountains. However, the Fellowship was stymied in their attempt to traverse the pass of Caradhras and were compelled to travel under the mountain rather than go over it. Gimli stood more than all the others with Gandalf on the matter of passing through Moria. 
This may be influenced by his curiosity of the fate of cousin Balin, who went there to refound the ancient kingdom of the Longbeards, and also just his vengeful nature in general. His first clash with Legolas occurred before the door Doors of Durin, in a brief dispute over whose fault it was, the elves or the dwarves, that the friendship between the two races waned. Gandalf quickly intervened, though it was not until Lothlorien that they would truly become friends. Unfortunately, while in Moria, Gimli discovered Balin's tomb, as well as evidence that virtually all of the dwarves who had attempted to retake Moria had been slain years prior. He was quite helpful to Gandalf in explaining the doors to the other curious members of the Fellowship. Gandalf showed his appreciation of Gimli's skills by letting him walk up front through the dark tunnels beside himself and taking brief counsels with him when the way is unsure. It is probable that Gandalf was tapping into the dwarven inborn or developed skills rather than actual knowledge of Moria itself, since Gimli had not actually personally been there before. Gimli reacted most indignantly to Sam's suggestion that Moria was but holes, going so far as to chant for him the ancient song of Durin. Gimli continued to be helpful to Gandalf on the rest of the Dark Passage, and boldly aided in the battle of the chamber of Marzarbul, protecting Balin's tomb. After Gandalf remained behind to halt the Belrog, Gimli led the others across, across the bridge of Khazad-dûm. After Gandalf fell with Durin's bane from the bridge of Khazad-dûm, the Fellowship entered the woods of Lothlorien, thus making Gimli the first dwarf to enter the realm since the Balrog was awakened in Moria. However, there was some tension regarding Gimli's being in the wood, and his elven escorts wished to blindfold him for the journey. Gimli staunchly refused until Aragorn decided that all in the Fellowship should be blindfolded to make the elven demand more equitable. While in Lorien, he accompanied Legolas on many walks through the wooded city, and the two became fast friends. When the Fellowship departed, he was given a strand of Galadriel's hair, though when he asked for one, he was given three, which would lead to his name in, in later years of Lockbearer, given to him by Galadriel. And what gift would a dwarf ask the elves? Nothing. Except to look upon the Lady of the Galadriel one last time, for she is more fair than all the jewels beneath the earth. <laughs> Actually, uh, there was one thing. Uh, uh, no, 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 I'm talking nonsense. It's quite impossible. Stupid. I have taken my worst wound at the Sparting. Having looked my last upon that, which is fairest. Oh, henceforth, I will call nothing fair unless it be her gift to me. What was her gift? I asked her for one hair from her golden head. After the breaking of the Fellowship, during which scene, he and Legolas slew many orcs. Gimli listened in silence as only remaining comrades, Aragorn and Legolas, sang a lament for Boromir in the character of Three of the Winds. Only the East Wind was left, and Gimli would not sing it, which Aragorn declared to be appropriate. For most of the chase, he served as as a commentator, usually leaving the decisions to Aragorn. His reaction was quite hostile to the suspicious Rohirrim, especially after Aomer's rash comments about Galadriel. 
Little did either know that they would become close friends in the times to come as fiery words passed between them. After the three hunters were lent horses, Gimli and Aramur parted in peace with promises to one another of reconciliation. Of the three hunters, Gimli seemed to be the most shaken by Fangorn Forest while they searched for traces of Merry and Pippin. The trees are speaking to each other. Gimli, lower your axe. They have feelings, my friend. The elves began it. Waking up the trees. Teaching them to speak. Talking trees. What do trees have to talk about? Except the consistency of squirrel droppings. Gimli felt no reluctance to shoot the unarmed old man whom they thought was Saruman unlike Aragorn and Legolas. After Gandalf was revealed to them, Gimli fell to his knees. Gandalf put his hand on Gimli's head, and the dwarf laughed for the first time recorded during the quest of the ring. Eventually, the three were reunited in Gandalf and became more involved with the war. Gimli played a critical role in the defeat of the forces of Isengard at Helm's Deep, where he was separated from Aragorn and Legolas and driven into the caves, which he would later become lord of. During the Battle of the Hornburg, Gimli saved Aramur's life outside the gates. He came in, boasting of his first two orc kills to his friend Legolas. Legolas estimated his slaughter to be about 20, starting the good-hearted orc-killing game that continued through the rest of the battle. Gimli was the first to the culvert when the orcs crept through, leaping heroically, heroically into the, their midst from the walls. He then proceeded to lead the blocking up of the culvert. During the course of the battle, Gimli was one of the, those forced into the glittering caves. He was astonished to see the magnificence of these caverns, moving even Legolas with his glowing description of them. This one sight would end up changing his life. His final kill score number was 42 in that battle, surpassing his friend the elf by one. Final count, 42. 42? Oh. That's not bad for a pointy-eared elvish princeling. <laughs> I myself am sitting pretty on 43. 43. He was already dead. He was twitching. He was twitching because he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system. Gimli shows a hint of humor and affection when he greets the two hobbits, Merry and Pippin, comfortably situated among Flotsam and Jetsam in the ruin of Isengard. He declared himself deep in Pippin's debt when the hobbit lent him his spare pipe. Gimli shows some of the hard stone hardness of dwarves when they met Saruman at Orthanc. Saruman uses the power of his voice to sway Thaden to forgive him and make peace, and many of the Arhirim are moved by his magic and are spellbound. Unmoved, Gimli comments that Saruman's words cannot be trusted, and that from Orthanc, help would mean ruin. Saruman is angered enough by Gimli that for a moment, he loses his charm. As the Fellowship of Friends again began to break up, Gandalf and Pippin heading for Minas Tirith, Theoden and his riders for Dunharrow, Gimli, out of love and respect for Aragorn, went with him, Legolas, the sons of Elrond, and the Dúnedain, rangers on the paths of the dead. 
He showed great reluctance before the dark door. His final thought that drove him downward was the thought of being bested by an elf underground. He participated in the epic battle of Palinor Fields, returning with Aragorn his, and his other companions on the black ships, and later recounted their journey to the fascinated hobbits. He began to fear for Legolas, who seemed entranced by the sea. His position on elves completely changed. He remarked, if all the fair folk take to the havens, it will be a duller world for those of us who are doomed to stay. He was much more skeptical as to the overall end of men than his comrade. Gimli fought in the Battle of the Moranon, passing through unscathed, and finding the alive but bruised Pippin among the dead lying on the hill after he had just killed a Mordor troll. He returned to the field of Cormallan to be reunited with his friends, and there displayed open affection for all of them, even his frequent rival Pippin. Saying, quote, if only because of the pains you have cost me, which I shall never forget. After the war, Gimli led a large number of Durin's folk south to establish a new dwarf kingdom in the Glittering Caves, which were located behind Helm's Deep, where Gimli was trapped during the battle, and became the first lord of the Glittering Caves. The dwarves of the Glittering Caves, led by their lord Gimli, would repair much of the physical damage that was incurred during the War of the Ring. Most notably, they rebuilt the Great Gate of Minas Tirith, with a new one made of mithril and steel, as well as improving upon the existing layout of the entire city, and helping to rebuild Helm's Deep as well. During their return journey, he visited many places with Legolas, including Fangorn Forest and Aglarond. Eventually, he, remember, he returned to Erebor to find it nearly devastated by war. Dane II, Ironfoot, had died, and Thorin III, Stonehelm, was now king. Eventually, though, he returned to the Glittering Caves with the contingent of dwarves. There he met his friends Merry and Pippin, and the history of his people made its way into the Red Book. He also set out the genealogical tree of the dwarves of Erebor for King Elisar. In Aglarond, it is assumed he lived on until he was old, and in the fourth age, 120, he sailed with Legolas, his friend, across Belagir to Valinor, becoming the first and only dwarf to do so. Gimli favored the axe and carried a variation of the weapon throughout his travels. At the beginning of his journey, Gimli was already equipped with the long-handled axe, which doubled as a walking stick, or walking axe to ease the strain of long walks through the vast grasslands of Middle-earth, a value to the heavily clad dwarf. As with most dwarven axes, the staff was square-edged with tightly wrapped double-crossed leather strapping, which kept the axe from slipping through his grasp. The length of his staff gave the weapon a much longer reach, which combined with his strength enabled him to hack into enemies at a three-foot distance. The blade had a sharp curve. It had a sharp curved blade with two cutouts in it to help keep the weight at a more controllable level. 
the sharpened edge of the blade continued beyond the top of the axe to allow it to be used for a quick stabbing jab after a parry. The throwing axe he had was also destroyed in Fangorn Forest by Gandalf, a white whom Gimli mistook for Saruman. During the Fellowship's travels to Moria, Gimli was able to retrieve a double-bladed axe which belonged to his cousin, Valin, Lord of Moria, who had perished during the goblin and orc attack on Duerodelf. Being double-bladed, it allowed Gimli to swing it in both directions without any need to constantly change the angle or grip, but it was much heavier with a shorter staff, which meant it was more suited to close combat, but was compensated by its great striking power. Depending on the battlefield conditions, Gimli would rotate through the axes, and also based on the types of enemies he was fighting, such as the short shorter double-bladed axe in the mines and woodland areas, and the walking axe during the Battle of Pelennor Fields. No matter what axe was used, Gimli used them all with devastating power in every battle. Like most other dwarves, Gimli wore heavy armor that left little to no weak points. Their lower dexterity level made them vulnerable to quick attacks, so they made up for what they could by adding more armor. Gimli's armor started with a soft padded layer of loose-fitting woolen hose and a shirt. There were two very unique sleeves of mail that attached to the collar. The mail was made from flattened rings held together with hexagonal links of fine gold wire. Over this went long leather gauntlets and boiled leather van braces that had an additional armor plate laced over the top of the hand and knuckles. His arms were also protected by bold leather pauldrons, etched and gilded in gold. Over his thick leather boots were shin guards made from the same boiled leather. He had an additional skirt made from the same unique dwarven mail belted to his waist. His next layer was a red wool mantle that was edged in leather and reinforced around the torso, shoulders, and back with heavily etched sashes of interlacing leather. Lastly came his harness, a wide leather belt with a metal buckle decorated in gold and held all of Gimli's axes minus his, the battle axe, which was carried on his back in a padded ring that attached to his bandolier that crisscrossed his shoulders and attached to the belt. At the back was two small pouches that contained a sharpening stone and repair kit along with other minor traveling supplies. Gimli's helmet was the most important and well-worked piece of his armor. The design was built around a boiled leather frame and had a small leather skirt that went down the back, where small interlinking plates were mounted to protect his neck. The inside was a dual layer of leather coif that was insulated by a buffer of stuffed canvas or wool, which also helped absorb any impacts. Around the head was an ornate steel skeletal frame with cheek guards mounted. Both of these were decorated with a stylized star motif that referenced his name, which meant star in Kuzdul. In the center of the frame, at the top of his head, was a circle of onyx, which was, his, which was a rare substance at the time and signified great wealth. And there you have it. The History of Gimli. That's it for this week's episode. If you liked it, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. If you do want more content, check out our website, ministeriothearchives.com. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, which is just History of Middle Earth Podcast. Find us on Instagram, at History of Middle Earth Pod. And there is a link to our Discord page in the episode description. If you have any questions, feel free to send them to our Facebook page or the Contact Us page on 
the website or send an email to ministerthearchives at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. Until then, I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle-Earth Podcast. Thank you.